Welcome to Brit David Podcast and our Sunday night sermon series as Pastor Tim brings us a message, a prayer for the church from Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 through 21. Pastor Tim states, Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesians 3 is actually one of the most beautiful combinations of prayer and praise anywhere in all the Bible. From a prison cell, Paul encourages the church and exalts the Savior. Here's Pastor Tim. Tonight we come to the book of Ephesians. Hope you have your Bible again tonight. If you take it and turn there with me, we won't turn quite as much as we did this morning. We come to what is called one of Paul's prison epistles. So during Paul's first Roman imprisonment, he's a prisoner and he is guarded, but yet he has a little bit more freedom. Uh, than he would in his second um, imprisonment. He's able to receive visitors. He's able to share the gospel uh, with the guards that are there. Uh, can you imagine being chained to Paul <laughs> for all the... And no doubt they heard the gospel, didn't it? And the Bible says that many of them even became believers. Paul was also able to write freely. And so he wrote several of his letters that we have as epistles, and Ephesians is one of those. It has a counterpart book, and that's the book of Colossians. There's a lot of similarities between those two books in their content and in their structure. Both books have about half, they're divided just about in half, where the first half is doctrinal and, and, and is centered on what we are to believe. The second half of those books primarily are practical and, and focus on our behavior or how we are to act, how we're to live out our faith. The portion that we come to tonight in Ephesians chapter 3, we look at the close of those verses in that chapter and it serves as a transition between this doctrinal section and this practical section. Um, it is a prayer for the church. It is a doxology kind of prayer. And is a wonderful one for us to study and I want us to tonight. It makes me wonder though about our own prayers for our own church. How do we pray for our church? You know, we have talked in recent days, especially among groups of pastors, about the need to pray for our Methodist friends. You know, most of them are going through votes in their church about whether to stay with their, we'll call it denomination just because we're familiar with those terms, whether to stay with their denomination or pull out. Very difficult decisions and, 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 and very difficult circumstances that we find our churches in and trying to serve in this particular world. So we pray for them in that particular setting. How do we pray for our church when we pray for us and for our needs? There's nothing wrong, obviously, with praying for physical needs or for healings, for those types of things. But oftentimes our prayer life, and when it concerns our church, revolves around those issues Almost exclusively. I guess maybe because it's easy for us to see. It's easy for us to see those issues and they involve people that we love desperately. 
And so we spend our time praying that way. I want you to know that I love our church desperately. And I want us to pray for it. I want us to pray for our church when it's sick. I want us to pray for our church when it's healthy. I want us to pray for our church and its effectiveness. Pray for our church in so many ways. I mentioned to you this morning that today marks the third anniversary or the third birthday of our portico prayers. Ever since the pandemic was sort of announced and churches ceased to meet in person for several weeks, we began on that very next day, that Thursday, we began to pray and meet outside under the portico using primarily Psalm 91 as our text and asking God as he says in that passage that he would not let any plague even come near our dwelling. We begin to pray for our church in that way, that, that those things would not come here, you know. We have, as that pandemic has subsided, we began to focus on revival in our church. We began to focus on spiritual awakening in our community and in our nation. So, we're still committed. We haven't seen God's hand move yet. I haven't sensed that God has released that burden from us to pray. So, we still meet every day at noon. Just gathering right here in this particular altar. Just to pray for our church. That's where we find ourselves tonight in the book of Ephesians. In fact, maybe you will find some spark of inspiration to pray for your church the way that Paul prays for this church in Ephesus. So let's dig in. You ready? You're in Ephesians chapter number 3. We want to begin today in verse number 14. And what we see in verses 14 and 15 is that Paul prays to the Father. Paul prays to the Father we find in these opening verses a posture of prayer for Paul. And we learned what has driven him to this action. Notice what he says. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. The sentence is going to continue on, but we need to stop there for just a moment. Now I know and I recognize that he doesn't use the word prayer. But I do believe that when Paul says that I'm bowing my knees to the Father, I believe that that bowing of knee, that humiliating himself, humbling himself, is so that he is ready to enter into this prayer time. And you're going to get the content of those requests as we move a little bit forward. But I want to hang out in those first three words. For this reason... The phrase, for this reason, serves sort of as a therefore. You know, we always say when you come to, the, to, a, to a therefore in the Bible, you can ask yourself, what's the therefore, therefore? You, it, it always points you back to some kind of reason. It points you back to something that has previously been said. Sometimes we only go back a verse. Or maybe we go back a paragraph. And we get to see what that reason really is. But well, for this one, you're going to have to go back just a little bit further than that. In fact, if you go all the way back to the beginning of this chapter, 
Ephesians chapter number 3 and verse number 1, you're going to discover that the same three words that begin verse 14 are the same three words that begin verse number 1. For this reason. In fact, I want you to look at verse number 1 with me a little bit closer in depth. Paul gives us that same phrase and we want to discover what that reason is. But I also want you to see that for Paul, this is something that is both personal and specific. He says, for this reason, I, Paul. <laughs> you know me, I, Tim at this point. You, you, however that works out. This is something that's personal for him. This is something that he begins to dive into. When he is praying for this church, it's not just saying, hey, let's all get together in a kumbaya and let's all pray together. No, what Paul says is, I myself am concerned enough about this to do something about this. So he makes it personal by using his name, I, Paul. But then he also begins to describe himself illustrated by his current condition. He says, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. As Paul writes, he's not, he's not writing so much for the Jews at this point. He's writing at this point for the Gentiles. And he says, I am literally a prisoner. I'm literally in chains. I am literally in a prison guarded every single day. And I'm there because of Christ, because of his work for Christ, and specifically his work for Christ among those Gentiles. They should have their ears perked. What is it that would drive a man to be so concerned about a group of people, a church, that he would go to jail for them? That, that, that he would spend time in chains for them? Well, there's something important, isn't it? In fact, let's, let's look there. It, it's still in verse number 1. If your translation is like mine, <clears throat> the punctuation that you have at the end of verse number four, or verse number one, is a dash, a parenthetical dash. What he's doing then is is taking a step back. He's begun a sentence now. He's begun a sentence for this reason: I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. And then he's like, a, <laughs> he's like a squirrel that sees something shiny. And suddenly he's off on something else. He, he, forget the rest of the sentence. Forget where he's going at this point. For verse 2 all the way through verse number 13, he is sort of like a parenthesis. He's going to talk about a number of things in those passages that are directly related to his relationship between him and this particular church. And so when you get to verse number 14... And he says once again, for this reason, it's almost like somebody has said, Paul, <laughs> get back to the point. And that's what he's doing. He's going back to the point. So what he began in verse number 1, he picks up in verse number 14 and says, almost like, okay, now where was I? Oh yeah, for this reason. And he goes on with the rest of the verse. So if I want to know what the reason is, if I want to know what the therefore is therefore, so to speak, 
then I've got to go all the way back up into chapter 2. And I think you can get enough of what he says in the last verse of that second chapter to know why Paul is saying, this is the reason. This is the reason for the prayer that we're about to read in the final verses of chapter number 3. Look back one verse. We pick up in the middle of the sentence, but I think it's okay. He says, in whom you also are being built together for a habitation of God in the Spirit. What is he saying? What does that mean? What he's saying is God's at work in you. God's at work among you as a church. And what is he doing? What is this great work that God's doing among them? He says, he is building you together. He is building togetherness in you. He is building unity in you. For what purpose? So that you might be the habitation of the Spirit of God. We are a church family, we say. We use those words because it reminds us that there's a unity among us, that we are being built together as a church. For what purpose? For the purposes that, that we look at and say, you know what, this is what we need to do. This is what I think that we should do as a church. Or, or no, 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 I, I, think, I think this is what we should do as a church. No, he says, I'm praying for you, that you would be drawn together that it might be a habitation place for the Spirit of God. That the presence of God might rest here. That God Himself might work here. That God Himself is at home here. I want you to feel at home. That's why we use that as, our, as sort of our phrase. You know, that we're a church to call home. And then we, and we break those things out so that, so that each, each letter in home then means something. But I have to tell you this, I'm far more interested in the Spirit of God feeling like He is at home here than any individual including me. If His presence isn't here, then what are we doing here? So Paul says, God's at work among you. He is at work in this church. He's at work in this church, building you together that you may be a habitation of God in the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what you're gathering in these verses is this is why Paul is praying. And so he, he takes on this posture of prayer because he comes before the Lord whom he wants to inhabit and make his home, make his dwelling place here in humility. That's why we bow our knees, you know, if we, if we can. We're physically able anymore to bow our knees. We bow our knees. We get on our face before the Lord if we're physically capable of doing that. And even if my physical body has left me outside, on the outside looking in, when it comes to this posture of prayer, 
There's nothing that keeps my heart from being there. In my heart, I can bow before the Lord. In my heart, I can humble myself before the Lord as I come to Him to ask Him, to beg of Him, to intercede for our church before Him. Humility is important. It's an important aspect of prayer. First of all, humility reminds us of who we are. It reminds us of who we are. We don't, we don't barge into the throne room. We are bidden. We don't, we don't shove our way in. We are summoned. He is the king. I am the subject. He is the father. I am his child. If you've been reading through and following your read through the Bible um, alphabetically as we've been doing, then probably in this last week or two, you've read through the book of Esther. We'll talk about Esther next Sunday. You remember Esther saying when Mordecai said, you need, to, you need to go tell the king. Remember what she said? I can't go tell the king. Nobody gets to come to the king unless they are bidden. Unless they are invited into his presence. You've been invited. The Bible says that you can come boldly before the throne of grace to find grace in your time of need, to find help in your time of need. You are invited to come there. Humility reminds me of who I am, that I am a child of the King. And he invites me with an open invitation to come before him. Humility reminds us of who we are. Humility reminds us of whose we are. Of whose we are. That was, that was my dad's advice when I was a teenager and finally got to where I could drive and go and do things by myself. He would always say, remember whose you are. He might have meant being a Jones and probably did. But he also meant... Who I am as a believer. Whose you are. If he is your father, then you are his child. Notice what he said in these verses. He said in verse number 15, as he says, I bow my knees to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. You bear the name of Christian because you're like Christ. Now, early on in the book of Acts, that wasn't a compliment, was it? He says, look at those people. They're like, they're, they're, they're like little Christ. They're like little Jesuses. Little Christian. But now we wear it like a badge, don't we? I'm a Christian. I belong to Christ. And He belongs to me. And because of whose I am... I can bring my petitions before Him. I can bring my cares before Him. I can bring my troubles before Him. I can bring my concerns before Him. And He listens and He acts. So Paul prays to the Father. Number two, Paul petitions the Father. He petitions the Father. In other words, there is something that he is asking God to do. On behalf of this church, on behalf of this church that God himself is already at work in. There's some things that Paul wants to ask God 
to grant to his people in that local church. But as I look through this passage, they're not necessarily things that are exclusive to the Ephesian church. These are, these are requests that apply to every church. These are requests that apply to Brit David. They fit us. If I need inspiration, if I need to know how I should pray for our church, then I can't go wrong by simply praying through the very same things that Paul prayed for that church in Ephesus. Let's look at it together. The four things that he asked. Let's look at them all here, in, beginning in verse number 16. That he would grant you. So this is his request, right? I mean, this is what he said. This is what I'm praying for, that he would do something, that he would grant this to you. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of God, which passes knowledge, that you be filled with all the fullness of God. You can mark in your Bible, if you like to mark in your Bible, those little words, that. The words, that, introduce to you what is the phrase of his request. What is it that he is requesting of his Father? And we're going to go through each one of those. There's something, though, that I think I want to mention to you before we move even any further ahead. So he says in verse number 16 that he would grant you. So he's telling me, these are the things that I'm asking God for. But look at this next phrase before he even gets to what the request is. He says, according to the riches of his glory. According to the riches of his glory. F.F. F. Bruce, you may be familiar with that name. He defined the riches of his glory as the sum total of all God's attributes. So if that's true, and I think that's a pretty good definition. So God's answers are always going to be in keeping with who he is. What his character is, what his attributes are. He's going to answer you, not simply out of some reserve. And I want to get back to that in a minute. Not simply out of some reserve that he's holding over here and now he's ready now to deliver these things to you. He's answering your prayers out of the character of who he is. If it requires love, it's because that's who he is. If it requires power, that's because that's who he is. If it requires provision, that's because that's who he is. He always answers our prayers out of his attributes. But now look at this, and I just said it wrong too. He says, according to the riches of his glory. He does not say out of the riches of his glory. If it were out of those riches, then there would be some pot of gold, you know, that he's able to scoop from. And if it's out of his riches, then he answers your prayer 
now the, the bowl is depleted a little bit. It's drained a little bit. Now it might be like sticking your finger in water. You know, you, you, know, you don't notice. But God doesn't answer your prayers out of his riches. He answers your prayers according to the riches of his glory. So that when you ask, it doesn't diminish what he's able to do at all. It doesn't deplete anything. It is according to the person and the personhood of who God is. All right? So let's get to the, let's get to the requests themselves. The first thing, the way that I would give this to you in your notes is this. The prayer is, may you employ his power. May you employ his power. There in verse number 16, after he says that this is what I'm praying for, that God would grant to you, according to the riches of his glory, here it comes, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. He wants you to be strengthened. He wants you to be strong. He wants you to have God's power. And that's how you live. And that's how you fight battles. Now, if we're talking about physical strength, and we would say, well, what you need to do is you need to eat right and you need to exercise, right? So sometimes we take those things that are physical and we plant those in the spiritual. We say, well, I mean, you, you basically, then if you want to be strong spiritually and be strong, as he says, in your inner man, then eat right, feast on the Word of God, right? Man, that sounds so good. And, and, and exercise your faith. You know, I mean, those things sound good, but it's not in keeping with what Paul's praying. Let me show you why. When he says, to be strengthened with might, the word for strengthened is, the word, uh, is a word that is in the passive tense, we would say. It's not something that you do for yourself. I mean, should you feast on the Word of God? Absolutely. Should you exercise your faith? Absolutely. But if you want to be strong in the inner man, it's not something that you do for yourself. It's something that He does for you. It's something that happens to you. You're to be strengthened with His might, with His power. By the way, that word for might is the word dunamis. It's a word we get dynamite from. It is inherent power. You're going to see that more than once tonight. So he gives you his power. So Paul's prayer is, I want you to employ God's power. That's a great prayer for church. That we would employ the power of God. Join us tomorrow as Pastor Tim continues his message from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, a prayer for the church. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at brittdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Britt David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Brit David Podcast.